in, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Wealth Tax Day podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices around wealth management technology. And this is our August News Roundup, where I provide my take on some of the biggest news items in the wealth management space. Now, some of you may have noticed we shifted when we record our news from the beginning to the end of the month. So keep an eye out for our news episodes in the third or fourth week of every month. Now, before I jump into the first story, if you are an executive at a fintech with a product you're selling to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, if so, you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Over the past 17 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions for their firms. The Ezra Group team can deliver a wide range of research for you, including competitive analysis, partnership recommendations, addressable and obtainable market estimates, insights on buying decisions, product roadmap advice, and more. Every vendor needs this kind of data to be successful, especially when entering new markets or launching new products. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. A couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now, let's kick this thing off. Kicking off our news this month, our first story, DocuPace enhances integration with InvestNet, strengthening digital solution for managed accounts. Now, this is, uh, we're always interested in integration stories from Ezra Group. We just launched our integration score. So we're definitely interested in new integrations. And this is a big one, considering the size and scope of these two vendors. DocuPace and InvestNet have huge market share in the, um, uh, both in the enterprise space and the RA space. DocuPace for document management, workflow, back office uh, processes, and InvestNet for full back to front wealth management platform and their TAMP on their exchanges, all the other software. So big news when these two vendors are collaborating and they've been collaborating for many years and working together. Now, this integration, according to the firms, is a real-time data exchange between these two platforms and it's got several back and front office enhancements. They're looking to streamline their experience as everyone is and everyone should be looking to make uh, more of a seamless experience for advisors, clients, uh, and, and home office staff. Of course, you want to eliminate duplicate data entry um, single sign-on should be the, the basis for every integration. It's really the lowest level. I know in our integration school, we have single sign-on as the very, very lowest level. You just get a one out of five for that. So it's, it's expected for every application. But one thing, one nice thing about this new integration is it's around the proposal process. So DocuBase is, is, is sliding into the investment proposal process and enabling DocuBase clients to launch new managed accounts proposals inside InvestNet. I don't know anyone else who can do that yet. So uh, that's a first. Now, InvestNet, uh, for those of you maybe who aren't using InvestNet, their system used to be solely revolving around the proposal. You had to create a proposal for every account, whether you wanted to or not. Whenever you changed anything about the account, you had to create a new proposal. It was a bit of a pain. They have since changed that I'm not sure they've rolled it out to all their clients yet, but they have changed that where you don't have to create proposals all the time, but they're still important for many firms that require proposals. So being able to create a new managed account proposal 
through the integration. So from a DocuPay screen, you can launch an investment proposal. And we saw a brand new proposal uh, version, which we really liked at the most recent InvestNet conference back in May. They've really streamlined it, redesigned it end-to-end -end their proposal tool, integrated a lot of their other uh, things that they have bought and partnered with. The new proposal at InvestNet includes Money Guide Pro features. You can see things where they're asking, gathering data that Money Guide would use. They're gathering goals and other information that can be fed into Money Guide. Um, so lots of nice stuff there. They uh, can quickly launch into an InvestNet dashboard from DocuPace. That's just an SSO connection to work on items. So you can see your list of proposals that are in draft mode and keep editing them. Now, the important part is, of course, supervision and compliance requirements through the DocuPace workflows. And DocuPace has very strong compliance and supervisory processes built into their software, as well as automatically initiating funding once the uh, investment proposal is moved to IGO status or in good order status. This should improve the digital experience. And I believe they're going to plug this into their portal as well on the investment side uh, from looking at the, the press release, right? Now, talking to the firms, they really have seen a lot of integrations with their clients. And we've seen a lot as well with enterprise wealth management firms from very simple to complex. And the complex ones require a lot of effort on the um, from the broker dealer or large RIA or the firm in terms of um, staffing, uh, having the right people, technology people involved and doing a lot of effort. And this is one step towards eliminating that, making it easier to integrate and connect these different tools together. I mean, for example, some large IBDs still require dozens of pages, maybe 40 or more pages that need to be signed to open an advisory account. I believe this uh, digital process should reduce some of that, make it a little bit easier. Now, it's only the first phase. I know that the, the, these two uh, companies have a lot more planned. You can open multiple managed accounts, but I believe, I've heard they're going to also allow you to open up annuity accounts and maybe other insurance accounts, which makes sense considering investments insurance exchange that they launched a while back and are integrating with their MoneyGate Pro acquisition. Uh, so basically, integration has always been hard. We're really excited to see uh, when vendors are making it easier, are building out the back end of these integrations to make it easier for their clients to initiate them. That gives a higher score and makes it uh, makes it much easier, reduces a lot of the effort of manually plugging things in, manually checking off boxes or manually writing code to APIs. So great, great job by DocuPace and InvestNet for launching this new digital account opening process. Now we have two stories, both related to Orion Advisor. So I'm going to squish them in together. First one is Orion partners with Apex to launch fully digital account opening for independent advisors. This is a new uh, account opening process from Orion only for Apex clients. Uh, they've integrated with APIs, uh, the Apex's API suite. Uh, all the digital account opening. Of course, API, Apex has been known as a digital first custody platform. Their APIs are very strong. A lot of fintechs use them for account opening. And all these digital account openings um, that have been launched by traditional wealth vendors are really were driven by all the robo-advisors who had done it first uh, back in the day when Wealthfront and Betterment uh, launched. They were some of the first to have fully digital account opening processes You know, for, for many years up until at least, uh, even, even now, there's still broker-dealers that are requiring paper uh, be passed back and forth uh, for account opening, sometimes dozens of pages to be opened. 
to open an account. So mm-hmm. digital account opening that came from robos into the rest of wealth management business is very good uh, for the business uh, in general. The um, so how does this work? The, uh, the the process works inside of Orion. So it'll be white labeled for each particular advisory firm, but running on the Orion platform. On the back end is Apex. So Orion is running the, the process. It's self-directed or also called self-guided, which is a combination of either um, the advisor sending an email to a client where they click on a link and they can walk through the process himself, or there can be a button on the advisor's website that a prospect could click saying, hey, I want to open up an account or maybe on their portal, hey, I want to open up a new account for existing clients. Or the advisor can start the process off and then hand it off to the client. So a lot of different options here for this, this uh, digital process. The, uh, they built in some goals questionnaire about where you want to go with your, with your financial life. They also built a risk tolerance questionnaire that looks pretty good, created by the uh, famous Dr. Daniel Crosby. Uh, it assigns the client to an advisor-provided model. Many advisors would like that. And then there's also some simple what-if visualizations for the client. They can change some values that they entered, such as the starting investment, monthly savings, et cetera, and see a projection of their future portfolio value. All looks good. Then it hands it off to the Apex account screens, the custodial account agreements. All has to be done. And then they can then fund the account through ACH using Plaid or the traditional ways, uh, such as a, a check. Now, Orion has also a very nice dashboard built in called Orion Connect, where the advisor can see an overview of all of these new accounts uh, processes, seeing the ones that are in progress, that are just on hold because the client didn't finish, or that they're missing information, or they're pending funding, or completed. Nice little dashboard, very helpful for advisors. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be very useful for uh, 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 Apex clients who want to use Orion. It's good all around. We like integrations. We like when firms utilize APIs and build a new technology on top of it. And of course, Orion already has digital account opening with the other big custodians, including Schwab and Fidelity, both of which launched in 2019. But there's no reason why they shouldn't extend it to Apex, who is an up-and-coming custodian and pretty much, you know, looking to catch up to some of these bigger custodians and, and make their mark in the RIA space. Next Orion related story is a Schwab story. So it comes from um, the wonderful website, fantastic website for news in our industry, RIA Biz and Brooke Southall. Thanks for the story, Brooke. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole title because, uh, you know, RIA Biz has this really long headlines, but especially Schwab and Orion had a deal that, that was um, grandfathered in from TT Ameritrade for advisors to get the first year of Orion software licensing free. So TD Ameritrade launched this back in 2009 with Orion. Uh, so it worked great, out great for both of these firms. TD brought on more, more uh, advisors who wanted to use Orion. They couldn't afford it. Uh, and, got, and Orion got the same. They got more clients, maybe couldn't afford the first year. Then as they got larger, they could. And it was very popular. According to this, the, uh, the article, uh, at least 1,000 of the 7,000 RIAs that were on TD before they were sold to Schwab took advantage of this deal. That's about 14% of all TDA clients were using this first year free, which is great for everyone. So very successful. And it spurred a lot of growth or at least helped spur growth of both Orion and TD Ameritrade. We, knew that we know both those firms grew pretty well. 
And um, it is uh, interesting that the, the old deal being terminated kind of came to light because of Orion's announcement that they're partnering with Apex. So that's how this particular uh, uh, information came out. Now, it's probably a normal business decision. You know, things can't run forever. I mean, 2009 to mm-hmm. 2022, that's 13 years. It's a long time to have any, any sort of deal or promotion mm-hmm. running. So uh, no reason why they wouldn't want to stop it. In the uh, RAA Biz article, they quoted uh, the also famous Joel Bruckenstein, founder of the T3 conference, about it's probably just ran its course. It just They just had enough uh, of it, and it's, they're not seeing a lot of value in it. So especially now that Schwab owns TD, why do they need it? Schwab's got plenty of business. Uh, what uh, Joel said was, would they have liked to continue a deal with Schwab? I'm sure they would have. It's critical to them as TD. Is, is it as critical to them as it was the TD deal early on? Probably not. You're talking about a long time that Orion has had to grow and become successful, and they probably don't need this deal either. Maybe it was just hanging out because no one even thought to to change it. Now, TD Ameritrade also has, still has their own affinity services program with about 100 vendors that they offer discounts uh, if they if they custody through TD, and Orion is still in that group, so there's still some discount if you use Orion in TD. Uh, there was other speculation that maybe uh, Schwab's partnership with InvestNet was the cause of this deal being canceled. Uh, probably not. Uh, I agree with Joel on this one, that even though InvestNet and Schwab do have a special relationship, Schwab gives a lot of business to InvestNet, and InvestNet bought Portfolio Center and all their clients from uh, Schwab. Still, it's probably not necessarily related. But now these companies can still... Uh, Work together, there's no reason why they wouldn't. Uh, all these different firms are what we call, uh, it's co-opetition, where they sometimes compete and they have to partner where with their with, with shared clients. So it's probably uh, not that big a deal. But just like Schwab and Orion have moved on from this special relationship, I'm going to be moving on to the next story. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is running the Invest in Others Awards, which is a program that recognizes the charitable work of financial advisors in communities across the country and around the world. Awards are presented at their signature event, the annual Invest in Others Awards Gala. Over 600 advisors and financial services executives attend this premier event to celebrate those individuals that actively give back to their communities. I've gone to, I think, the last three award galas. They had to cancel it for COVID, and then they canceled it again last year, uh, 2021. Uh, it was normally in September, October timeframe, but hopefully they'll have it again this year. So there are five categories of awards that recognize, uh, recognize the distinct ways that advisors have made a difference through their work with a nonprofit. So the nominations deadline is April 1st. That's less than a month. Just go to investinothers.org and you can click on the nominate, uh, click here to nominate link and nominate an advisor um, if they win in one of the five categories, which are Catalyst Award, Community Service Award, Volunteer of the Year Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, and Emerging Impact Award. They can win, let's say, finalists in all categories receive $25,000 for their charity. The winners in the Catalyst Community Service, Next Gen, and Volunteer of the Year categories receive $50,000. The advisor who uh, receives the Lifetime Achievement Award receives $75,000. That's a lot of money for a charity, can really help. I've uh, been lucky enough to be on the, the nominated committee, the, no, the awards committee, the judging committee 
for a bunch of these different awards. It's really hard. These advisors do some great work, both local communities in the US, in South America, in Central America, in Africa, in Asia, across the world, uh, and right here at home. All kinds of great uh, stories, great charities that help people of all uh, ages, shapes, and sizes. You should uh, uh, nominate someone and also donate. Your company will probably match your donation, which provides twice the benefit. Please go to investinothers.org. Thanks. Next story is FMG acquires content marketing platform Vesterly. This story is a great example of how the innovation cycle works in software. It took over a decade for this to play out, but let me try and condense it into just a few minutes of an overview. So Vesterly started out as a digital marketing platform back in 2011, and it was one of the first to focus just on financial advisors. Now, of course, the problem with being first is not many people understand why you need it, and you have to do a lot of explanations and a lot of education, but you have the market to yourself. Now, I got first in contact with Vesterly around 2015 um, and spoke to them and learned about the product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they claim they use machine learning, natural language processing uh, to learn about the type of content people read and who shares uh, similar data points. Now, I'm always mm-hmm. skeptical of these claims, especially when it comes to um, this type of information, because in order to use natural language processing, you need uh, rather machine learning, you need a tremendous amount of data. So it's, it's uh, I'm always skeptical that the startups and these firms can bring in this much data in order to provide the value that machine learning can provide. They were tracking, uh, for example, who likes content, who doesn't like content that they're sending out. So it was a content marketing platform. Then they claimed they could generate warm leads. Again, which I'm a little dubious of, just because someone clicks on a link doesn't mean they're a warm lead necessarily. Uh, it means they're a lead, some kind of lead, but it's not necessarily a warm lead. Now, I know they got some traction uh, back then, uh, and they uh, I know I heard some large RIAs were kicking the tires on their platform. Not sure how much traction they actually got there. And of course, direct uh, digital marketing is a really crowded space. Any kind of marketing automation platforms is really crowded uh, market. Um, you all know the Keats' Ezra Group Advisor Tech map, of course. And in on just this map, we have 17 products in the digital marketing category. And these are just the apps that are specifically targeting financial advisors. Of course, a financial advisory firm could use any platform. They could use a HubSpot or a SharpSpring or a Marketo or any of the other generic marketing platforms. They will work just fine. In fact, uh, that's called the marketing platforms are called MarTech. And there's a map, just like the, the Kitas Ezra Group Advisor Tech map, there's a MarTech map. And if you see it, I'll, I'll post the links in there. There's over 8,000 logos. So we have 17. There's actually 8,000 marketing tools out there. Uh, you have to use a, a microscope to see the logos. So it's, it's a very crowded space, very difficult to get traction, uh, which they found, uh, which uh, Vesterly found out the hard way, uh, which most startups do find. It's something you have to go through. People aren't just going to beat your, just because you build a better mousetrap, people are not going to beat their path to your door if you don't do everything else as well. So uh, one of the co-founders, uh, Justin Wiz, uh, left in 2018 to become a VC, leaving one of the other co-founder, Ralph Palmeyer, to take over. And at the time in 2018, so this is four years ago, we announced a pivot, where they're pivoting from direct sales to RIAs into being more of a software company first, where they were, they were licensing their algorithms and their software to other fintech firms, and also to enterprise uh, providers or enterprise wealth management firms that wanted to build the, the software into a bigger platform. 
Now, the, their first deal came out with Hootsuite around 2018, which was big news for them. I also heard that they worked out a deal with Fidelity eMoney to serve some, uh, some planning-oriented content into the portal to track where clients are clicking on. And uh, But I'm not sure with how much how much revenue they got from those deals. That's another hard, the hard thing. It's hard to sell, hard to pivot from selling directly into one client segment going to another client segment. And this is something we work on with a lot of fintech firms. About half the clients at Ezra Group are fintechs. We never work with Vestrally, uh, never provide them any services, uh, but we've worked with firms like them who are trying to do the same thing, pivoting from RIA to enterprise. It's very difficult. There's a lot of changes. And I know in the article I read, another RIA biz article about this, they were basically getting rid of all their RIA salespeople, then hiring enterprise salespeople. Well, they got to start all over again. Uh, so that's the, and those uh, enterprise deals often take six, 12, 18 months to close because there's just a lot of hoops to jump through. There's a lot more uh, people involved, but also you, you need an enterprise product. You can't take an RIA product and just sell it to the enterprise. Uh, ra- rarely, uh, sometimes you can, but where you can sell it to the individual advisors at an enterprise. Like if you go to an IBD and hit up individual advisory firms that affiliate with the, that IBD and sell them your RIA product, that's different. I'm talking about selling it to the enterprise, going to the broker deal home office and saying, here is a product that you can use and provide to your advisors. You need um, approval processes, workflows, roles, and, and access rights. Uh, you know, you need a lot. And of course, in you dashboards, like we talked about uh, earlier in the, in the Orion um, uh, story, you need dashboards for compliance and dashboards for admins to see what's going on. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to be done to sell an enterprise, to build your software, to be ready to be sold to the enterprise. Uh, and then there are firms like FMG, Hearsay Social, uh, and Snappy Kraken who have built out enterprise versions of their software. And they have detailed approval processes or workflows that go to different people in the organization. And you can follow those workflows. And you can see where uh, different, how, if content has been approved, that it's in the content library uh, or emails and social posts that are updated and approved. That's all has to be has to be done and built. Uh, you need as the dashboards that show the uh, status of your different compliance issues, status of your different content. You know, even though these firms have them, of course, there's always glitches. There's always opportunities to improve. But I don't think uh, Vestrally even built out a lot of this stuff, um, uh, or didn't build that quick enough or, or robustly enough to to get enough deals. Now, of course, their uh, their new CEO uh, Ralph Palmeyer um, was had a strong belief that. He could pivot the company, uh, but back in 2018, uh, other people weren't so sure. And the RIA Biz article, a uh, great article from RIA Biz in 2018 about Vestrally getting a new CEO, quoted uh, uh, my good friend and partner, Michael Keeks, founder of the XY Planning Network and publisher of the popular Nerds Eye View blog about Vestrally. Uh, now, well, they, they quoted Rolf Palmeyer as saying, we've invested over six years in R&D and collected billions of data points what people are reading in financial services and what clients want to read. Now we want to further expand the data by integrating with others. That's his enterprise pitch. They want to work with other fintech firms and other large enterprise broker dealers and provide their software and their data. But what Michael Keats has said was that just because Vestally has a mailing list of financial articles doesn't necessarily make any of those readers want to do business with them, with those advisors or those firms. So it's not clear why Vestally's data is actually useful. Good point. Another uh, quote from Michael was, Vestally appears to be having trouble actually monetizing and demonstrating a value proposition for advisors based on all this third-party content aggregation. 
So this suggests they may not be much, they may not find much traction in leasing or licensing out to others either if it fundamentally doesn't drive results for advisors. That's so an excellent point. If they couldn't sell the product to RIAs and RIAs didn't see the value in that software, in their supposed uh, AI ML that was providing um, all this information, how are they then going to sell that to other firms if they can't show that the, the business case is working? Now, of course, of course, at the time, Paul Meyer disagreed with it, as he should. If he believed in his product vision, he believed his pivot was going to work, then he should disagree with it vehemently um, and strongly, say, hey, we are going to do this. Now, of course, he got other people to agree that they could do it. Uh, I know uh, the uh, Crunchbase shows almost 15 million in total funding for Vestally. The last round was a Series A in 2020. So people were still investing money into Vestally, believing they could make it work. Even uh, Inc. Magazine had Vestally in their top 5,000 companies just last year. I think there were 20, what's the number here? 20, 2744, so right in the middle. So the top 5,000 companies basically in the entire US, that's pretty good. But things still really weren't working. They weren't really getting a lot of traction. Uh, at Ezra Group, we have a research division, and we we do research in all categories of advisor technology, including digital marketing tools. And Vestally hardly showed up in any of our interviews, of any of our surveys, to looking for firms with the most market share. Um, you know, the space was dominated by firms like AdvisorStream, which was acquired by Broadridge last year, Snappy Kraken, Hearsay Social, and of course FMG, which rebranded themselves from FMG Suite uh, just recently. And look, if you look at how fast things change in, in our industry, or even any industry, um, RA Biz back in 2019, when they were talking about Advisor Stream, called them a Vesterly style drip marketing platform. Right, so they were using Vesterly as the um, as the comparison tool that because Vesterly was one of the first uh, marketing firms for advisors. But what uh, Vesterly didn't do, and what Advisor Stream did, was improve on the concept dramatically. One of the things Advisor Stream did to improve on the Vesterly model was to license the content rather than just providing a link to a client or a prospect, click on the link and go to the Wall Street Journal or to Barron's website, where you see the rest of their content. You see, when you click on a Wall Street Journal article, you see around the edges, other Wall Street Journal links. You see, you may even see ads for your competitors. Right? Wall Street Journal would certainly serve that up if they thought um, that an investor was, was clicking on that that might be interested in an advisor. So why would you want to send your clients and prospects to a website where other advisors are marketing to them. So AdvisorStream paid for this content, uh, paid for Wall Street Journal content, Barron's content, other, other uh, media outlets content, and they served it up to the advisors with their advisor branding, rather serves it up to the client. So when the client clicks on the link from an advisor, they see the advisor's branding and they see the story. They can see it's a Wall Street Journal story, but it's not at the Wall Street Journal's website. It's at a custom-built website, dynamically built on the fly, that shows the advisor's branding and the story. So it, it makes it much cleaner and provides much better experience, both for the advisors and the client. So that's what AdvisorStream did to improve, and they um, did very well, so well that they were acquired by Broadridge. Snappy Kraken, another competitor, built a very different product in the digital marketing space. So they, they do have a... Um, a content marketing piece of the solution, but they built a more comprehensive com combination of, uh, of tools into more of a campaign delivery mechanism that includes email, blog posts, web content, social media, and other content all combined, auto-scheduled, posted out, 
and, and created for different client segments, whether you want to target physicians or airline pilots or widows, whatever it might be, they have different content just for those client segments. And they also snappy cracking guaranteed geographic exclusivity for advisors. So another advisor in your town wouldn't be sending out the same content to your, to your clients. And that's another differentiator. So these are things Investorly did not do that their competitors did do. Another example of how innovation, you can start out as the most innovative firm, and then things fade over time if you don't keep up. Now, FMG has a history of being very acquisitive, and that has helped them grow to be one of the leaders in the digital marketing space for advisors. In December of 2020, they acquired competitor 20 over 10. This is a good article from wealthmanagement.com written by Asia Martin. So they bought 20 over 10, um, which had a website editing tool as well as a lead generation tool that they just launched that year at the T3 conference. And that helped uh, FMG Suite uh, bring on additional marketing and website tools for independent advisors, as well as, well as 20 over 10's client base, which they had been very successful expanding into uh, and closing deals with some of the largest broker dealers, including LPL, Cetera, and Advisor Group. So that's, again, something that Vestrally couldn't do, which would have helped them sell uh, themselves earlier, is, is have those um, marquee client logos in their back pocket. So my sources tell me that Vestly put itself up for sale uh, at the beginning of the year. There were other companies interested, uh, kicking the tires. I think they were even down the road with one other vendor, but they backed out. So they had to go with a relatively low offer from FNG, which is basically for the technology and some of the staff, which is a shame, uh, but it's really how things work. It's how innovative software works. Uh, there's a, an example I use in my when I give um, keynote presentations. It's a slide from the, a website called the Google Graveyard. And what's the Google Graveyard? You can go, you can Google it. The Google Graveyard is basically a list of every product Google has shut down since they started. And there was a hundred. I don't. Uh, I don't remember. 140 products on the list. That's just one company. Just Google. And of course, Google is uh, much quicker to do these things and has a lot more money. But just an example of how innovation works. Sometimes things work for a while and some of these Google products lasted for years or even a decade or more before they shut them down um, for various reasons. And there's different reasons why you'd shut things down. So just like vegetably, people build something cool, get a little traction, raise some money, but then more startups come into the space and then the best execution wins. You have to out execute your competitors or else you're going to lose. And that's how this ends. It's not with a bang for Vestally, but with a whimper. Next up is the first story in our monthly news. Since we started doing the monthly news, that is about Ezra Group. It is the announcement of the Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score. I'm really excited to announce this. We launched it last week. And you can go to EzraGroupLLC.com. And if you click on the uh, menu at the top of the screen, what we do, there is a link that says Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score. And that is what we reason what we did this is the reason why we did this is we work with a lot of uh, fintech firms. Half our clients are fintech firms, half our clients are broker dealers, large RIAs and asset managers, and everyone's got trouble with integrations. We've been doing it for years and years, whether it's doing software deployments for firms, whether it's going into a broker dealer and helping them optimize their platform, uh, or working with a fintech firm and helping them decide which integrations they should support or, or add to, to their product roadmap. It's confusing. Uh, it's not easy to do. 
and uh, it's it's hard to manage and hard to understand. So we came up with the score to help basically everybody in, in a number of different ways. What this score is, is a consolidation of a lot of information we've gathered over the past six months, over the past six months, and a methodology we put together over the same six months to to um, consolidate all this information down to a single score, uh, zero to ten. And what the score will tell you is how well the these firms software integrates with other software in our industry. So it's all the advisor tech software, basically everything on the Keatsis Ezra Group advisor tech map. Um, almost everything is uh, it was scored and, and documented with this methodology. Now we didn't do every vendor. We did about 200, I think, oh, look at the website, 236 out of 329, uh, because some applications don't really need a lot of integrations. For example, billing. Billing just has to integrate with the custodian, pull the data down and generate the bills. There's no reason to penalize them because they don't integrate with uh, financial planning software as an example. Uh, we also didn't hold companies accountable for integrating with their competitors. So, um, you know, a risk allies doesn't have to integrate with Morningstar's risk tool. There's no reason why they would do that. We couldn't hold that against them. So we have all that, all that methodology built to understand all that. Uh, so narrowing it down to just the, the companies we felt the risk score will be valuable. And it allows firms, for example, very large RIAs or RIAs or broker dealers to look at two applications that they're neck and neck. And they can look at the integration score and that can be one more piece of data that maybe will sway them if one vendor has better integration capabilities than the other vendor. Uh, we're also trying to get more transparency in the industry. This took us a long time to gather the data. Uh, one of it, one reason is because most firms don't provide it on their website. Some firms do. If you look at a firm like eMoney, MoneyGuy Pro, Riskalyze, Orion, uh, just to name a few, these firms provide a lot of information about their integrations on their websites. But most firms don't. So it took us a long time to get the data. We had to send a lot of surveys. Some vendors didn't fill out the surveys. Uh, so we had to, to follow up with them again uh, to get the data to be able to present it for you. So that's a lot of work. And we don't want you to have to do that work. So we're trying to save a lot of time for people out there. So we've done it for you. But we want to try to push for more transparency that more fintech firms will post on their websites what their integrations are and what, and what data can be passed. So some firms just put their logos. Like here's the logos of the firms we work with. Well, that doesn't help me much, is it? You know, we, we rank integrations on a five-point scale. Uh, a one meaning it's just an SSO. And then a two means it's just one direction. A three means it's bi-directional. Uh, and then four and five are higher levels for more integrated, more tightly integrated capabilities that are much easier to deploy. Uh, so we reserve the five for the, the highest level integrations. and. Just because you built out a bunch of logos, we need to know what is it. If it's just SSOs, it's useful, but not as useful as a full-blown integration or something that could be just a widget automatically dropped onto another company's website to pull in your data, which is much more valuable. So that's another thing we did there. So um, those firms can use it. We also think that uh, fintech firms can use it amongst themselves to know, well, who should I partner with? Well, they might want to partner with other firms that have strong integration scores or, or work with them first because they know it'll be easier to work with them since they already have strong integrations. Other firms that could use this could be PE firms. So PE firms are looking to invest in the wealth management space. Maybe they wanna buy a flagship uh, company that can be the core of uh, a new platform they're building. They're gonna build, uh, buy up pieces on different tools and plug them in together. Knowing which vendors have, which providers and software providers have the highest level of integration, maybe they buy them first because they've already got strong integration capabilities and then buy lesser 
firms to plug them into or lesser integrated firms to plug them into. And that might be one capability, one way to do that. So lots of ways that this data can be used. We're uh, providing it. So it's, it's free on our website to get at least the scores is free. Um, we have a lot of data behind that. We're trying to figure out what to do with it. Uh, but a lot of back end data. Uh, we basically went through every single integration. And if you look at the, uh, the website, uh, EzraGrippLLC.com, under the Wealth Tech Integration Scores, there's a number of total integrations we checked. It's 3,646, meaning if Orion's got 80 integrations and Riskalyze has got 100 integrations, that's 180 integrations we have to check and score to know exactly how deep their integrations are. Oh, that reminds me. So there's three cap there's three criteria for uh, calculating the integration score. One is breadth, just how many integrations does a firm have? We only ranked, we only weighted that at 15%. We wanted to keep it low because we didn't want vendors to go out there and say, well, I'm going to build 100 integrations, all SSO, and get a great score. Well, no, we want to encourage the more in-depth integrations, the, the, uh, the deeper integrations. So we kept that at 15%. The next level is uh, technology support uh, and authentication that looks at whether the firms offer APIs. Are they well documented? Is there a developer sandbox? Uh, do they have a full range of APIs available? And do they use the right, the best authentication tools? Uh, so if you use just username password, that's a low score, that'd be a one. If you use um, a, a, a better piece of software to do your authentication, you get a higher score. So that that's that section is 25% of the score. That, that totals 40%. So the remaining 60% is depth because we really wanted to encourage uh, vendors to really build deep uh, integrations. So that's where the 60% comes in. And part of that 60%, we also want to encourage integrating with what we believe are the most popular apps used by advisors. So we put together a list of key apps, which you can see also on our website, that you get a higher score if you integrate with them. So it was the top three vendors in each category, plus some other ones that we thought were important to advisors to use, that most advisors use. So integrating with those gives you a bit of a higher score than integrating with maybe a one-off platform or, or platform that doesn't have a lot of users. Uh, so that's really an overview of both why we did it, who could use it, and how it works. If you want more information, again, go to EzraGroupLLC.com. We're going to be coming up with a blog post uh, introducing the score and going into more detail, then another blog post um, that talks about the methodology in more detail. And you can also see, um, I think I did a, um, a podcast with Marie Swift. Uh, you can check out her website. And there'll be more information coming uh, from Ezra Group to explain more and talk about changes as this uh, resource evolves for the industry. All right, I'm just going to do a quick overview of some of the upcoming conferences uh, for the month of September. First one uh, that I will be at is the Wealthies, which is hosted by wealthmanagement.com in New York City on September 8th. After that, shortly after that, I will be at Future Proof, September 11th to the 14th in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, another, there's a conference that I can't go to, but I wish I could, Finnovate Fall, which is overlapping with Future Proof at September 12th to the 14th at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, New York. And finally, something you really shouldn't miss on September 29th is the next incarnation of Advice Tech Live. You can find more information at advicetech.live. And this is on September 29th from 11 to 6 p.m. It's a virtual conference. It's gonna be online. We started this, or Adam Holt from Asimap 
was the, the leader of this. Uh, I just helped out. Um, Advice Tech Live started during the during COVID shutdown, and now we're still running it. So um, I am participating. I'm going to be moderating a panel during this uh, this conference. Uh, it's great to attend. It's, uh, money goes to a good cause. So I would go to advicetech.live and register for this conference. It's going to be on September 29th. All right, uh, you reached the end of another episode of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. Please go to our website, ezragroupllc.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll get an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, links, updates. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening and talk to you all again soon. Mm-hmm.